Have you ever skipped a stone on a pond or a lake? During the time when I was pursuing Lisa, and she had no idea, I convinced her to go on a hike with me through a park in Lincoln. She really should have known. I wish she was here so you all could look at her and, and, and let her know she should have known as I chased her to go on a hike with me. And as we were walking along and she, she casually picked up a stone and skipped it. And there it went two, three, four, five times. I did not. And she noticed. And she said, you know, like skipping stones. And I said, I don't know how. And she said, try. And so I did what happens every single time I attempt to skip a stone. I picked one that I thought I was supposed to pick. I held it the way I thought I was supposed to hold it, and I threw it. And listen, I was trying to impress this girl, so I really wanted it to go well. And plop, it hit the water and sank right down. If any of you are thinking I could teach them how to skip stones, I don't care to learn. I just don't think I can. But have you ever, have you ever watched what happens when you throw a stone, whether it skips or sinks? Have you ever watched what happens when it hits the water? You see, when a stone hits the water, these ripples, they, they go outward. And that happens every time. Whether you have a large rock that you throw with incredible force or a small stone that somehow you try to rest gently into the water, there will always be ripples. Now I want you to I want you to picture that this morning. Picture throwing a rock stone into a pond. And think about the ripples that it makes. Those those disturbances in the water that radiate outwards. Think about the ripples in the water. I'd like you to hold on to that image this morning because it's going to be important. This morning, we're talking about the Garden of Eden. And so I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of Scripture. You can read along with me in your Bibles. We'll be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17, or you are welcome to just listen. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It 
winds through the entire land of Avila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Kush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You may be seated. Now, for the rest of the message to make sense, we need to talk a little bit about the Garden of Eden. Now, most of the things you know about Eden, you've heard a lot of times. We read the passage which most clearly describes it just now. But there are two things, or a few things, you may not know. And those are what I want to focus on for a moment. Aside from Genesis 2, another place in the Bible where Eden describes is described as in Ezekiel chapter 28, where the prophet Ezekiel is hearing from the Lord about the fall of a king, which mirrors the fall of Satan. And in the midst of all this, we learn some important things about the garden. The first thing you need to know is that the garden is planted on a mountain. Now, if you're like me, you don't usually think of Eden being on a mountain, but the scripture does describe it such. In Ezekiel 28, the Lord describes Eden as the holy mountain of God. And this is important because if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about in the ancient world, they believed that the heavens were up which we should not think is silly, because if I asked most of you where heaven was, you would point up. But they believed that, that going up on a mountain allowed you to get closer to God. And so, Eden is on a mountain. And so mountains are places where God meets with his people again and again throughout Scripture. But Eden is on a mountain because it's the place where God and Adam and Eve dwelled together. It was God's home on earth, his operating center. Ezekiel 28 also calls it his seat, like a congressional seat. It was a place of authority and power and presence where God and human beings dwelled together. Now, with these passages about the garden, Genesis 2 and Ezekiel 28, all of this there are three things about the Garden of Eden I want to talk about today, or I want you to, to think about today. And the first one is this. We should not miss, when we think about the Garden of Eden, that this was a place where God desired to dwell with his people. We don't have to go very far into the Bible to see this happen again with the tabernacle, with the temple, with Jesus, with the promise and revelation of us being able to dwell together again. God's desire has always been to dwell with his people. That's an amazing thing. Sometimes we have this idea that God likes to be far away. We think that when we pray, we're praying to a God far from us. We think of God as distant, but nothing could be further from the truth. From the very beginning, God has desired to be with us. 
Because that's who he is, a God that loves his creation and loves his people. He desired to dwell with us. That's the, the first thing I want you to see is that we worship a God who has always wanted to be with us, who never allows himself to be far away. The second thing I want you to notice here are the two trees. Now, you've probably read this a lot of times. You may have heard a lot of things about the two trees. I don't know that I'm going to tell you anything new. But as I've meditated on this passage, I've become captured by this idea of two trees. Can you imagine being in the Garden of Eden and how incredible a place it must have been, especially if you read this story 3,500 years ago, wandering through the wilderness like the first Israelites did. You see, in that part of the world, most everything is brown. There's not a lot of green, and there's not a lot of blue. And so a place that is so filled with green and blue, with trees and water, with fruit, must have been an amazing picture to have, an amazing place to live. And in the midst of all of this garden, there are two trees in the center. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And imagine the two trees, like these two trees here. Imagine being able to walk into the garden and be presented as they were with a clear choice. You see, I believe that what we're supposed to see God doing there is offering Adam and Eve always a choice. The tree of life presents blessing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an opportunity for obedience or disobedience. One tree they're encouraged to partake from and one tree they're told not to. Now, I don't believe this is because the fruit itself is magical or imbued with power in some way. I believe this is the case because when they came to the tree of life and partook of its fruit, they were doing the thing God had told them to do in right relationship and obedience with him. They were in his presence and obeying him. And for that, they received life full and overwhelming life. The kind of life that human beings cannot ever have on their own today. A life that came from God. And I believe that they were invited to partake of it over and over and over again to receive blessing over and over and over again so long as they obeyed the one rule. Do not eat of the other tree. Receive the blessing so long as you continue to obey. I think that what's amazing about this picture is that that choice never changes. Even after the story goes on and Adam and Eve make their mistake, the mistake that we'll talk about in a moment, but that we're all well aware of, the sin that gets them cast out of the garden. Still today, we are presented with the opportunity 
to receive blessings from God, life from heaven when we enter into right relationship with Him, the blessings that come from obedience, or we could sin and we receive the consequences, the spiritual deafness that comes with that. Not that when we stumble and sin, we Christians are all of a sudden cast out from His family. But there is a, a, a spiritual deadness to sin that we participate in when we do it. Adam and Eve are presented with two trees with blessing and life, disobedience and death. Who knows how long they partook well? Who knows how many times they went to the tree of life? Until the one day they took fruit from the other tree, the tree that God said, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. When you break covenant with me, when you violate our relationship, you no longer have spiritual life. You have spiritual death instead. Now for us, again, this question or this process is very different. We don't lose the life we have from the Holy Spirit when we sin. But again, we do take in a spiritual death when we disobey the Lord. This choice they had in the garden echoes and mirrors and reflects the very choice we have today as well. More on that in a moment. So the first thing I wanted you to notice was God's desire to dwell with his people, which has never changed. And the second thing I wanted you to notice was the two trees in the garden, which represented a choice that is still true for us today. And then the third thing, Adam and Eve are called to holy work. Now, maybe you're here today and it's hard for you to imagine that work could be a holy thing. Maybe you don't enjoy the work that you're doing, or maybe you're someone that just doesn't enjoy work at all. I think a lot of us could relate to that. And it might be hard to imagine that in a perfect state of relationship with God, there would be work involved, but there absolutely is. This is true at the beginning of the Bible, and it's true at the end of the Bible as well. There is holy work to do. Now, the jobs, the callings that Adam and Eve have, we see two of them. In Genesis 2.15, we hear that they're, they're supposed to work and care for the Garden of Eden. So they're in this amazing place, full of life, and God calls them to tend the garden, to care for it. This dwelling place where they stay with Him, they're called to work it, to care for it. But they don't rule over it. They're not in charge of it. It's God's home. It's perfect. There's no need for them to subdue or govern or rule it, because he's there. But earlier, in Genesis 1.28, we see a different calling that God gives to human beings. We're called to rule over and subdue the rest of the world. So, so there's this garden where Adam and Eve dwell with God. This garden on a mountain. God's mountain. And and the calling they have is to care for the garden, but then also to be sent out into the rest of the world to make it 
like the garden. This world that isn't perfect in the same way God's garden is. In fact, in Genesis 1, we see over and over again that the creation is good. It's very good, but it is not perfect. It is not complete. God is going to finish it, but he wants to do it through you and me, through Adam and Eve, through human beings. And they're called to, to go out, to multiply, and to rule over creation in such a way that they make it more like the Garden of Eden. This is, I think, the original plan for mankind. To be in the garden and to partake of the tree of life. And in so doing, to enjoy the blessings that come from right relationship with God. To take in his life over and over again. To be made more like him over and over again. Obediently receiving life from him. To work the garden. And then to make the rest of the world like the garden. In other words, they were to go out and live and be in such a way that their actions were like stones falling into the water and making ripples. That their, their action, their love, their work would affect the world around them in a way that made it more like the Garden of Eden. And if we had never fallen, I believe that that's what would have happened. Mankind would have gone out, worked, and made creation the way that God always intended it to be. But we know what happened. We know that Adam and Eve were tempted. We know that they fell. And there's so much to talk about there. And we will very soon, just not today. But when they did, they lost access to the tree of life. They lost access to this, this blessing from God. This, this heavenly life that he was offering to them every day. Their relationship with him is cut off or changed in a way it was never meant to be. And so the human beings that God created us to become, the potential that Adam and Eve had, no human being could ever reach because they could not take of the life God was offering them. The Spirit is real present. Until Jesus Christ. You see, in, in Romans chapter 5, we read that while one Adam, the first Adam, sinned, and through his sin, spiritual death came to all of his descendants, we read that through a second Adam, spiritual life and blessing returned. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and then 18 and 19 say this, Therefore, just as sin, in, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Like giant stones whose ripples radiated outward like tidal waves, Adam sins in the garden. And all of us are affected. And then Jesus obeys, submits, dies, and is raised 
and another stone drops into the pond and ripples go out that offer us blessing and life again. And now, how different is the world than it was back then? In so many ways, it's very different. We don't have a Garden of Eden to go to anymore. But, the original calling that God gave us is not done. We are still called to soak up His presence, which is possible for us in a way that it was not for people between Adam and the Lord. To be in His presence, to go to the tree of life, when the tabernacle was present, when the temple was present, there was always this room that was in the center of them called the Holy of Holies, and it was there that God's presence really dwelled. But people were not allowed in. The blessing of the garden was gone until when Jesus dies and the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn. And we have access to Him again. You could say we have access to the tree of life again. It doesn't look like the picture in the garden. You can't go to a tree, find a piece of fruit, and, and, and be eating the fruit of the tree of life. But through the Holy Spirit, which we receive when we repent and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive this life from Him again. We're still supposed to soak up His presence. And then we're still called to make the world like the garden. We talked about a few weeks ago, we're called citizens of heaven. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't live here. We actually live there. We're just here for a time. What it means is that we are called to make this place like that one. We're called to make earth like Eden. And of course, we will never fully succeed. We will never fully accomplish this calling. This is what will happen when the Lord comes back. He will do it. That doesn't mean we don't have work to do today. That doesn't mean that our, our calling is not still to holy work. To bring the blessing of the tree of life to those around us. To care for the world that we find ourselves in. It is so important that we care for God's creation because He does. He loves it. He delights in it. And we're called to rule over it. We must do so in a way that reflects His heart for it. And also the way that we interact with one another every single time we speak to one another. Every single time we act in one way or another. It's like a stone falling into water and ripples go outward. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am enabled to follow after Jesus, to follow His example, and to, to strive toward loving others like He did. He does. And of course I fall short. But when I allow myself to be ruled by things other than Him, when I allow a short temper or impatience or fatigue or frustration to boil up out of me, 
and affect the people around me. It's like a stone drops into the water and these ripples of sin go outward. The effect isn't just in me. It affects the people around me. If you don't think that's true, just see what sin struggles manifest themselves in others when you're having a really bad day. When you lose your temper and yell at someone, watch someone else lose theirs too. The ripples hit them. But there's a different kind of ripple that we can send, a different kind of stone that we can drop into the water. You see, I believe that we are called to take the fruit from the tree of life, the life that God gives us through His Spirit, and share it. Now there's three places in the Bible the tree of life is talked about. It's talked about in Genesis, it's talked about in Revelation, but it's also talked about in the book of Proverbs. And I, I love the book of Proverbs, but it paints this picture very clearly. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. What does that mean? That means when we allow God to love other people through us, we bring the blessing of heaven, the blessing of life in the Garden of Eden. We bring it forward to today and share it with them. It means that when we love like he wants us to love, we literally make the world more like he wants it to be. Those changes, those those effects are real. They matter. Because just like when you shout at someone and you watch what happens in return, what happens when you forgive? Have you ever been forgiven? Someone that you had wronged and you felt awful and you go to them and you know you don't deserve their forgiveness and you say, I'm really sorry. And I'm not talking about the little things. I mean something big. And instead of receiving the anger or fury or the breaking of relationship that you're expecting, instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you see the love of Jesus in them, and they say, I forgive you. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? And if so, what happened in you when you did? I imagine that love and a desire and a love of grace sprang up and overflowed out of you. That relief and a desire to bless sprang up and out of you. When we forgive, we bring the fruit of life. When we speak kindly, when we give encouragements, when we serve one another, all of these are ways that we bring that life from heaven and we make it present here. And then there's another proverb that talks about the tree of life. It's Proverbs 15.4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but how do you use your words? If you looked at yourself from the outside, if someone listened to all your words throughout the day, would they say that you have a soothing tongue? Because here's the thing, we all learn when we're very young, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words may never hurt me, and it's good 
Do we teach children that because we should teach them not to be ruled by other people's words? But if we're being honest, all of us know that words can pierce us like weapons. They can bring intense pain, suffering, and struggle. And also, they can bring life. They can build us up, lift us up, remind us of the goodness and love of God. And so Proverbs says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. The question I have for you today, these pictures in the Garden of Eden, they're not only meant for the beginning of the Bible, they're true in many ways in our lives still today. Life is available when we go to God. There are blessings in obedience, and there are consequences to disobedience. The question I have for you today, if your life is a stone, what kind of ripples do you want to send out? Because all of us drop them into the water together. Could you imagine the effect on the world around us if all of us did so with the love of Christ in our hearts? If we treated one another with love and grace and mercy, if we spoke to one another kindly, with loving encouragement. And so as you think about your own heart and your own actions today, what thing comes to mind is not honoring the Lord? What's the unloving habit that you have? What's the action you take that sends out the wrong kind of ripples? Is it a pattern of speech? Is it a habit? Is it a temper? I want to encourage you today to go before the Lord, to recognize it as what it is. You're standing before two trees, and you get to choose which fruit to take from. And you ask for His help, and you say, Lord, help me choose life. And then go and do holy work, making the world a little bit more the way God has always desired it to be. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, we know, and it's true, that if we were left to our own devices, we would stumble over and over and over again and never do any better. But Lord, we are not left on our own. You are not far away from us. Lord, your desire and pleasure has always been to dwell with your people. And when we have your spirit, we have you dwelling within us. Because of you, Lord, we are able to strive after you. 
And so, Lord, we ask for your help with our words, with our habits, with our actions. That you would bring to mind those parts of us that we need to repent of. And that you would call us to that repentance again and again and again as we struggle and stumble and make mistakes over and over again. But Lord, we thank you for your spirit and we ask that in the midst of all of that, that you would deliver us from our sinfulness. That you'd empower us to act and live with love and blessing. That your grace and your mercy would flow out of us. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.